Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Jerry Haley, and I serve as an elder in our congregation. Let us now prepare our hearts for worship as we bow our heads for the prayer for invocation. We gather to thank you, gracious God, for those times when we have been lifted up by you and known your healing touch. You have clothed us with joy and filled us with hope. We are grateful that even in our days of deepest gloom and despair, you have surrounded us with a love stronger than all our pain and doubts and grievous losses. Come to us now that together and individually we may sense larger realities than the narrow focus of our daily concerns. We await your word. Amen. Let us praise God now through our worship.
Good morning. It is such a treat to have Arthur Wang with us today. You can see his impressive bio on page eight of your bulletin today. Genevieve hopes to have students from the Sarasota Music Conservatory to share their gifts with us once a month. What a treat for us. Thank you, Arthur. Will you please stand and join me for the responsive call to worship found on page three of your bulletin. Arise, people of faith, that Christ may give us life. This is the day of meeting in Christ's name. God is attentive to us and hears our cries. God challenges us to eager engagement in life. The word of life is ours to receive. The good news is available to be shared. We will sing praises to God's Let us worship God.
The proof of God's amazing love is this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Because we have faith in him, we dare to approach God with confidence. Trusting in God's grace, let us confess our sin. Merciful God, we confess to you now that we have sinned. We confess the sins that no one knows and the sins that everyone knows, the sins that are a burden to us and the sins that do not bother us because we have gotten used to them. We confess our sins as a church. We have not loved one another as Christ loved us. We have not forgiven one another as we have been forgiven. We have not given ourselves in love and service for the world as Christ gave himself for us. Forgive us, gracious God. Wake us up and send to us the Holy Spirit that we may be given power to live by your mercy as you have called us to live. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The one who raised Jesus from the dead offers us new life today. Our sins are forgiven and our lives are washed clean. We can meet the world with the assurance that we are loved and valued. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. Now, as people have done through generations, let us affirm what we believe by saying together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So now we have the opportunity, friends, to share the peace of Christ with one another. Peace be with you.
We are so delighted that you are here with us on this beautiful day, and we'll see how beautiful it remains. I just have a couple of quick announcements. Tonight, the students have Worship Under the Stars. So if you know a middle school student or a high school student will be gathering in the courtyard at 8 o'clock, Rain or shine, because if it rains, we might just move into the campus center. We invite our students to bring a friend, to bring chairs and blankets. It should be a great evening. We have begun fellowship under the tree, and it's not raining. And remember to bring your cups. We not only get to care for creation, but we get to share something about us. Like if you happen to have five daughters, come talk to me. I'll tell you about them. Next, oh, and the name tags. I'm seeing, I'm getting like a, a reminder. And where are your name tags if you do? Because it helps us get reacquainted after being in seclusion for all those months. Next Sunday is the 4th of July. Holy cow, it's the 4th of July next Sunday. We won't have Impact Kids, so all the kids will be welcome to worship with us in the sanctuary. And we invite you to wear red, white, and blue. Bring out all of those patriotic colors, and we will have some treats under the, um, under the tree that will go along with that great theme that we actually are free to worship. Praise God. That's all the announcements for today. Let us continue our worship.
like to invite the Nets family to come forward for baptism. Elijah's nice and sound asleep. Not for long. All right. Yeah, Gary, go. Come on up, gang. Grateful to have Elizabeth and Griffin up with them as well to support them. Come on forward, gang. Don't be shy. All right. Oh, hello. Oh, I know. I know. This is your sleepy time. <laughs> well, it is good to have Joe and Patty and their two boys, Elijah, to be baptized, and Noah, who's already been baptized, and we're so grateful that you guys are here with us this day to celebrate this great sacrament of baptism. We are grateful that we get to be together as the people of faith and remember our own baptisms, wherein we have all been claimed by the love and grace of Jesus Christ, and we get to experience that even in this moment, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we make promises in baptism because we are the covenantal family. We gather together around this wonderful family to support them as they raise their boys in uh, the knowledge and faith of Jesus Christ, and uh, we look forward to the day when they will claim that grace for themselves uh, through confirmation. So, so to that end, we ask questions in baptism of their parents that they may uh, once again reaffirm their faith. So Joe and Patty, would you please respond to these questions? Do you reaffirm your own faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Do you? Do you claim God's covenant promises on your child's behalf, and do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation as you do your own? Yes. And do you now unreservedly promise and humble reliance upon God's grace to set before Elijah an example of the new life in Christ? And do you, the members of this congregation, in the name of the whole Church of Christ, undertake with these parents the Christian nurture of their child so that in due time he may confess faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you? And will you endeavor by your example and fellowship to strengthen his ties with the household of God? Will you? Let us pray. We rejoice, O Lord, that you have claimed us all to be your children. And we are thankful for these moments in life when we once again realize who we are and whose we are and how we have been claimed by your love and your grace. And we pray, O Lord, that by the presence of your Holy Spirit, we may once again reaffirm our own faith as we seek to walk alongside of this wonderful family as they bring their boys up into your love and into your grace. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Elijah James Metz, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, how about we sing, Jesus loves me, this I know.
I'd like to officially welcome little Eli to Elijah to our family of faith and um, sticky faith in our kids so that when they graduate from high school and from college, they don't leave their um, faith behind. So um, we know we're not the only influence. You are the influence of the, your, your child. And so we'd like to walk beside you and love your and teach your child with you and to help you on your journey with him is a little Bible's um, story booklet and also we have a keepsake for you that has been um, stitched and loved and prayed for for this little guy um, from your family here um, church so congratulations let's pray thanks so God for your grace and your mercy for your love for us that begins at the very beginning and goes for all time. And we pray that you will always let this little boy and his brother know that you surround them with your grace and that you love them to the end. In Christ's name, amen. I'll be going upstairs. Join me upstairs. We get to welcome this month two new members, and we're so grateful to see them join our church. Uh, you can see their picture and read about them on page eight in the bulletin. Ron Bovin is active already helping in the sound booth in the 10 o'clock service, and Doug Souls worships with us at 11 a.m. They have been officially received into the church, and now we get to recognize them publicly in worship. Ron and Doug, we welcome you. Let us turn to God in prayer. We give you thanks, O oh Lord, for all the blessings we keep receiving from your hand. We see your amazing gift of love in our families, our friends, our community, even in the strangers we meet. We thank you for the love that you spread, a love that continues to touch new people every day in all the corners of our world. We give you thanks for our growing church, and in particular, we ask for your blessings for our new friends, Ron and Doug. Inspire them to participate joyfully in our great faith family here at Church of the Palms and enrich their lives so they will want to enrich the lives of others. We ask for your help, Lord, as we try to come to terms with difficult events that have shaken, up the, shaken us up this week. We come to you and ask for your help in understanding what led to the death of so many innocent children in Canada over the past two centuries. Help us forgive those who have acted with evil intentions and bring light and healing to the First Nation people who feel they have been robbed by the people they trusted. Even in our world today, there are too many children <clears throat> sold like property abused, hurt, neglected, while others get to thrive, to go to excellent schools, to play beautiful music. Help us build a world where every child receives the same abundant love, where every child knows you from the beginning. Open our eyes to injustices and help us give them a voice. We pray for the families of those who have been lost in the Surfside building collapse. 
In these excruciating days of waiting for signs of life, bring your healing peace. O oh God, great things have happened through your powerful hands. We offer to you with hope the name of every person that is still missing. We lift up today those who are facing a difficult health diagnosis, and we ask that you give them courage. Comfort those who are in the hospital. May they feel the healing touch of the Holy Spirit. We pray for those who are grieving today. Fill them with gentle thoughts. Pour your blessings on the leaders of the church that they may always love you and love neighbor first as they guide your people. We pray for those who are leading our country as we move forward in a world post-COVID-19. O oh Lord, keep us in, together in unity as brothers and sisters as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, what an incredible blessing to be where we are today. A year ago, our church had been closed for three months already. We were navigating in the dark with no idea when our doors could reopen. And your generosity was felt even in the darkness, which allowed us to continue with our different ministries. And now we get to sing again and we get to smile for each other. There is so much to be thankful for. We take this moment in our service to be reminded of these things. And there are so many ways to give. They're all listed in the back of your bulletin. We also have baskets at each door for you to use either at the beginning or as you exit the worship. And these baskets are brought forward by our ushers as a symbol of gratitude before God. May we give with joyful hearts.
please remain standing after the prayer of dedication for the hymn that follows. Let us pray. Blessed are you, O God, maker of all things. Through your goodness, you have blessed us with these gifts, ourselves, our time, and our possessions. Use us and what we have gathered in feeding the world with your love. Through the one who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.
You may be seated. We are continuing our summer series on windows of the word. We're taking a look at those eight stained glass windows in the chapel, and we invite you to take a stroll through the chapel and see this beautifully renovated new space that we just rededicated last week. Today's mosaic shows Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. You can see it on the cover of your bulletin. This is on the eve of his arrest. The angel who tends to Jesus and gives him strength is still holding the cup of suffering that Jesus is asking God to remove if possible. You can also see the three disciples who are in the garden with Jesus, who are named actually in Matthew and Mark. They are Peter, James, and John. In the top window, you can see, of course, the praying hands. Our first lesson today comes from Psalm 130. I like the way Eugene Peterson renders this psalm in the message. Hear now the word of God. Help, God, I've hit rock bottom. Master, hear my cry. Listen hard. Open your ears. Listen to my cries for mercy. If you, God, kept records on wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? As it turns out, forgiveness is your habit, and that's why you're worshipped. I pray to God, my life a prayer, and wait for what he'll say and do. My life's on the line before God, my Lord, waiting and watching till morning, waiting and watching till morning. O Israel, wait and watch for God. With God's arrival comes love. With God's arrival comes generous redemption. No doubt about it. He'll redeem Israel, buy back Israel from captivity to sin. The Gospel reading is from Luke 22, verses 39 through 46. Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Then Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw away, knelt down, and prayed. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. When Jesus got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping because of grief. And Jesus said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Wake us up, O Lord, that from the word just read and the words to come, we might hear a message from you that is nourishment for our soul. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you read the book or seen the movie The Secret Garden? The protagonist is a young girl named Mary who became an orphan at 10 years old and was sent to live with a distant relative in England. 
Mary discovers a secret garden that has been closed off and locked up for a decade ever since the mistress of the house fell from a rose trellis and died. Mary also discovers a sickly 10-year-old boy named Colin who has been locked away in a room for his entire life. The master of the house could not bear to see his son after his wife, the love of his life, had died so suddenly. Both Mary and Colin had similar childhoods. They had been ignored, disregarded, and even neglected by their parents. They were looked after by the servants who had been instructed to obey their every whim. As you might imagine, the children were both spoiled, sullen, and quite closed off as neither had been loved nor truly cared for. They are also bitter and selfish because they are so lonely and utterly without friendship. Friendship is so important. Sociologist Will Sampson wrote that all people have seven core desires. As you listen to this list, think about which desires could be satisfied by a good friend. Here's the list. All people have a need to be safe, to be seen, to be heard, to contribute, to matter, to be loved, and to belong. A good friend can create a safe space for us. A good friend will see and hear us and help us to feel like we matter, we are loved, and that we belong. My goodness. Friendship can satisfy six of the seven core desires that we have as humans. This goes back all the way to the original Garden of Eden, right? In the Inclusive Bible, which tries to provide more gender-balanced ways of speaking, we read in the second creation story found in Genesis 2. So Yahweh, that's the Hebrew name for God without actually saying God, Yahweh fashioned an earth creature out of the clay of the earth and blew into its nostrils the breath of life and the earth creature became a living being. In verse 8, the next thing that God does is to plant a garden. God plants every kind of plant and tree and then adds some rivers to nourish the land. God then places human in the garden to care for the land and then said, it's not good for the earth creature to be alone. I will make a fitting companion for it. So God got to work and made the various wild beasts of the land and the birds of the sky. And then God had the earth creature name them. But none of them proved to be a fitting companion. Not even a dog. Sorry about that. So God made another human being. That must be why Jesus brought his friends with him to the garden. It is a secret of the garden that I hadn't caught in earlier readings of Jesus' time in the Garden of Gethsemane. Did you notice that these friends are not perfect? There are lots of stories throughout the gospel where the closest friends of Jesus make mistakes and get it all wrong. Yet Jesus continues to demonstrate and model for us Forgiveness, patience, 
and acceptance. Jesus is even gentle with them when he finds them sleeping. Luke explains that they are sleeping because of their grief. Even with their imperfections, Jesus still wants his closest friends with him as he's dealing with one of the most difficult nights of his life. So Jesus asks them just one thing, one thing, to pray. What do you do when life seems too hard and your burden is too heavy to bear? I wonder if you too gather close friends around. I wonder if you pray. Some call this time the dark night of the soul. This phrase was first conceived by the Spanish mystic John of the Cross in the 16th century, and it was the anguish of feeling as though one's soul was actually separated from God. Today, this phrase is often used more informally to describe an extremely difficult and painful period in one's life. For example, after the death of a loved one, or the breakup of a marriage, or the diagnosis of a life-threatening illness. For many of us, the loneliness, isolation, and fear associated with the pandemic was indeed a dark night of the soul. In the dark night, we experience a collapse of perceived meaning in life. Everything seems without purpose and we can't see where we belong. Often there are intense feelings of sadness, frustration, and hopelessness. I've certainly experienced this. Have you? In his book, Dark Nights of the Soul, the psychotherapist and former Catholic monk, Thomas More writes that survivors of the dark night come to realize that life is never as bright and successful and meaningful as you might imagine. And yet, those survivors have found or rather created new meaning in life. For example, at the age of 36, the pianist Leon Fleischer suffered a mysterious neurological affliction that essentially crippled his right hand and nearly ended his career. None of the treatments he received helped, and Fleischer fell into a two-year period of despair to the point of considering suicide. But then, an epiphany. As Fleischer put it, I suddenly came to the realization that my connection with music was greater than just as a two-handed piano player. Fleischer essentially reinvented himself, becoming a teacher, a conductor, and a performer of the left-handed repertoire on piano. Thomas More wrote, it was the expansion of his musical vision that saved him. That kind of creative imagining that we can do with God is what prayer can look like for us. So what do we do when the darkness is beginning to descend upon us? Well, to start, I wonder if we can make room for suffering in our own personal worldview. The psalmists teach us that to be human is to be in trouble. 
In his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Eugene Peterson writes, animals can be hurt, but they don't suffer. The earth can be ravaged, but it cannot suffer. Only human creatures in creation actually suffer. For suffering is physical or emotional pain, plus the awareness that our own worth as people is threatened, that our own value as creatures made in the dignity of God is called into question, that our own destiny as eternal souls, that too is in jeopardy. Friends, suffering is part of the human experience. This reminds me of a lovely poem by Nick Askew called, We Are Fragile Together. It goes like this. We are fragile, you and me, though we act strong. Our lives are held together with thoughts of where we might be tomorrow and of disappointed yesterdays. At any moment, we might shatter. We might fall to our knees, weighed down by the terror of being so far from our own control. Dare we look up, we'd not know where to go or what to do. We are fragile, you and me. If we were to turn to each other, we might see the whole world on their knees, hurting and seemingly alone. But none of us are. We are fragile together. This poem brings to mind the condominium in Surfside, Florida that collapsed earlier this week. We've seen rabbis, pastors, political figures, first responders, family members, and friends with no prior connections who are now waiting, fragile together, fearing the worst, clinging to hope. Psalm 130 teaches us that humans have always been fragile, that suffering is real, and that God is real. Neither prophets nor psalmists offer quick cures for the suffering. We don't find any of them telling us to take a vacation or to get a hobby. Rather, the suffering is held up and proclaimed and prayed. In Psalm 130, we read, I pray to God, my life a prayer, and I wait for what he'll say and do. And isn't that just what Jesus did? Jesus teaches us not only how to pray in the garden when in agony, but also how to be a person of prayer throughout all of life. Luke shows us how Jesus is both a man of prayer and a teacher of prayer. Jesus prayed regularly, sometimes all night, and especially at significant times in his life, like baptism, choosing the Twelve, and the Transfiguration, which, by the way, was the event where the deity of Jesus was revealed to Peter, James, and John. And now we have the humanity of Jesus being revealed to those same three disciples in the garden. Jesus' regular practice of prayer is a theme of Luke's gospel. There is a saying, the extraordinary comes from the ordinary. 
When Jesus prayed regularly during ordinary times, he experienced extraordinary power in his time of need, something the disciples are still needing to learn, perhaps something we are needing to learn as well, another secret of the garden. In the 1500s, reformer Martin Luther encouraged us to have prayers that are brief, frequent, and intense. From baptism to death, a lifetime of prayer can be a source of strength, especially, especially on those dark occasions when we're having a hard time breathing and we're trying to seek God's will. Well, Jesus had one large advantage over us, being God's son and having a great relationship with God, Jesus knows exactly who God is. We're more like the four blind men in that old Indian tale who discover the elephant for the first time. They groped about, seeking to understand and describe this new phenomenon. You remember one grabs the trunk and concludes it's a giant snake. Another explores one of the elephant's legs and describes it as a tree. A third finds the elephant's tail and announces that it's a rope. And the fourth blind man, after discovering the elephant's side, concludes that it is, after all, a wall. Which one is right? Each, in his blindness, is describing the same thing, an elephant. Therefore, all are right but none completely. Each of the four blind men in the parable touch a different part of the elephant, just as four persons of faith are in touch with different aspects of God. All know the truth about the reality that they touch, but none completely. I like how Henry Nouwen writes about the four truths about God, realizing that though these things may be true, none are fully so. First truth, Emmanuel, God is with us, living in solidarity with us to share our joys, our pains, to defend and protect us, and to suffer all of life with us. God with us is a close God, a God whom we call our refuge, our stronghold, our wisdom, and even more intimately, our helper, our shepherd, our love. Second truth, Abba is personal. God is tender, merciful, forgiving, kind, and gentle. Abba implies an embracing and nurturing love that comes to us from our fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, spouses, friends, and lovers. Third truth, God is hidden as well as being able to be found, absent as well as present. The fullness of God cannot be limited to any human concept or prediction. God is greater than our minds and our hearts and perfectly free to be revealed where and when God chooses. Fourth truth, God is looking for us. We do not find God, but God finds us. The questions we might ask are, how am I to let myself be found by God? How am I to let myself be known and loved by God? 
Just hearing those four truths about God, is this a God you can trust? Jesus prays with complete transparency and in complete obedience to a God he knows and trusts. Do we trust God enough to bring our friends with us to the garden and to authentically reveal our heart's deepest desire as we pray? In our dark seasons, do we trust God enough to wonder what God might be up to in this or what God may be making room for in our lives? The great neurologist Oliver Sacks wrote, as a writer, I find gardens essential to the creative process. As a physician, I take my patients to gardens whenever possible. All of us had had the experience of wandering through a lush garden or a timeless desert, walking by a river or an ocean, or climbing a mountain and finding ourselves simultaneously calmed and reinvigorated engaged in mind, refreshed in body and spirit. The importance of these physiological states on individual and community health is fundamental and wide-ranging. In 40 years of medical practice, Dr. Sachs has found only two non-pharmaceutical therapy to be vitally important for patients with chronic neurological diseases, music and gardens. Just as the secret garden is awakened and brought back to life, so too are the children, Mary and Colin. The moment the kids begin to attach to one another in friendship as they spend time in God's creation, caring for the garden, they become kinder and more sympathetic, and they too are coaxed back to life. With a friend and a prayer, may the same be true for you and for me. Oh, my God. 
Friends, this week, as we cultivate our prayer life, our gardens, and our friendships, may the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes, the love of God reflected in your hands, the wisdom of God reflected in your words, and the knowledge of God flow through your hearts so that all might see and believe. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen.